Everybody, everybody around here pretty well knows that, uh, man, youth ministry, college ministry, children's ministry is a tremendous blessing here. Uh, my wife and I went to Preston Wood for their Christmas program, and it was a tremendous program. They'd spent $3 million on that thing. And it, but I'm telling you, if those of you who went, tremendous. We went to First Baptist Dallas. They spent a million six on theirs, and it was tremendous. But I sat here last week. None of those gripped my heart as I sat in tears and watched this production here. Tremendous, tremendous production. I thank you. And, and you've, you've seen our kids have a lot of fun. They have a great time and all that. I, I wanted to just interview one of these kids. Boy, what a great quartet. I tell you, I love that. I want to interview one of these kids, though. And, and I just turned around and said, can I interview this morning? No sweat. We'll just take it by ear. He's not playing this. He's not done anything. Landon, come on down here, okay? Just smile, okay? All right. Landon had a tremendous week this week at school. Uh, tell, us, tell us about what you did at school, okay? So we were going to see the movie The Star, and so my friend KJ, he got to watch it, how the real meaning of Christmas was. And then the next day, um, I brought him a gift, and it had a Bible in it because he told me that he really wanted a Bible that he could read. And so I asked if he wanted me to read it to him, and he said, sure. So we read, um, and we read the part where he could get saved, and I asked him if he wanted to get saved, and he told me yes. So I prayed with him, and, and we talked through it, and then he got saved. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> I want to tell you, that bless your heart, won't it? Have mercy. Oh, that's what Christmas is all about. Praise the Lord. If I were to ask you the first time that Christmas is mentioned, most of you would say Matthew 1, and it is. And then maybe some of you would say, no, it's got to be Luke 2, and it definitely is. But I would submit to you this morning, I think the first time that Christmas is talked about in the Bible is in a scripture called John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's a gym dealer, and it, this is a true story. He was in Tucson at a gym and mineral show. He noticed a blue-violet stone about the size of a potato. Kind of ugly thing. And he looked over there and the gym dealer that had for sale in the show had $15 on it. He said, you going to sell this for $15? Now, he said, you know, that he really was expecting to pay a lot more for that. But the guy said, you're right, it is ugly, it's, it's just not pretty at all, so I'll take $10 for it. The guy gave him $10. It uh, was valued. It, it became the largest sapphire star in the world. 800 carats more than any other one ever found. 
had 1,902 carats in it worth $2.28 million. And he got it for $10. You see, it took the lover of stones to recognize the sapphire's worth. I tell you, when I look around at myself and I look around at us today, it takes the lover of souls to look at us and see what we're worth. Because we don't think we're worth very much. But when the lover of souls looks at us, Jesus, it's not what we are, it's not what we were, it's what He sees in us that we can become. John 3.16 is like the magnifying glass of God's love for mankind. Summarizes the whole heart of the Bible completely. Uh, Gaylord Kambarami, I met him in Kenya a couple of years ago. He is the Bible uh, person for uh, Zimbabwe. And very well known there. And of course he hands out Bibles and passes them out all over. He was passing out a Bible to a belligerent man. And he, he didn't want the Bible. And Kambarami uh, said, look, take the Bible. He said, look, if I take that Bible, it was the New Testament. He said, if I take that Bible, all I'm going to do is tear out the pages and smoke it in cigarettes. That's what I'm going to do. And Kambarami said, listen, would you just make me one promise? Would you read the pages before you smoke them? He said, well, yeah, I mean... You know, if you've ever been over there, cigarette paper is hard to come by and all those things. So he said, yeah, I'll read it. Fifteen years later, they met at a conference in a Methodist convention. And there was that, that pagan uh, antagonist that didn't, didn't even want a Bible. He was preaching on the program that day. He had become an evangelist. And he gave his testimony. He said, I was able, he told about Camerani giving him the Bible. He said, I was able to smoke Matthew. I smoked Mark, and I smoked Luke. But when I got to John 3.16, I couldn't smoke no more. He literally changed my life. That's what Jesus does at Christmas. He changes lives. Let me just summarize this as we begin to participate and take the Lord's Supper this morning. When you look at the love, the action, for God so loved the world, it's expressive in its action. It's expressive. We find the greatest lover of all lovers here in this verse, and the greatest degree of love is revealed here. He so loved us. The legislative work of God is found in the Ten Commandments, but the redemptive work of God is found here in John 3.16. Ten major words. God loved, world, gave, son, believeth, him, perish, everlasting life. Wow. God's love. It's universal. You're here this morning. I don't care how big you are, how small you are. I don't care how pretty you are, how ugly you are. I don't care how educated you are, how uneducated you are. It makes no difference whether you're red, white, blue, green, black. It doesn't make any of those differences. <coughs> it is a universal gift. Wow. It's unknown in its fullness. We cannot fathom the love of God. We can talk about it. We can enjoy it. We can, but Ephesians 3.19 says to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. There's no way that we can even know the love of God that you might be filled with all of the fullness of God. It's unbroken. 
Romans 8 sums it up. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, he goes on and names all of those things. It's unbroken. It's unending in character. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, Jeremiah said, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. See, you didn't get up one morning and decide you'd go looking for God. God had been looking for you all along. Brandon had shared earlier, uh, Landon had shared earlier that, you know, he'd been praying for this boy. That's the beginning of winning somebody to Jesus. When you care enough to start praying for him, God opens the doors. It's unrivaled in its, in its example to us. It's expression in action. It's extraordinary in its choice. God so loved the world. The greatest lover is God. The greatest degree is so love. And the greatest company is the world. I read, I shouldn't do that before I preach because I just get aggravated and angry. But there's so many pastors today in this new reform movement that have literally said, you know, uh, all our old traditions are no good. Uh, And they just want to write them off. Well, the, the Bible you know, one of those things is liquor. I'll just be honest with you. Now, I preached against liquor all my life, and I'm not going to quit preaching. I'm not telling you the Bible tells you that it's a sin to have liquor. I settled that question a long time ago in my life. It's not could I, it's should I. It's not can I, it's should I. See, nobody gives a rip about their testimony anymore. Hey, I... I I can't even go to the grocery store. I get hacked off at my wife, and I'm I'm not ugly to her. I'm just sharp. Amen? What good leaders are, they're sharp. And I'm sharp. (laughs) And I'm telling you, we turn the aisle, and there'll be one of y'all. And I'll say, hey, how y'all doing? And she'll mumble under her voice, talk to them like you talk to me. It's not can I, it's should I. Our testimony is more important than any other thing in this world. It's extraordinary. And then he says, uh, for the whole world. And a lot of these guys today are saying, no, it's, it's just for the elite. It's just for those that God chose. No one else has an opportunity. Now, some of you here I know this morning are Calvinists in a group this big. Some of you have no idea what it is. And it doesn't make any difference. But I just read a note this morning, if you're, if you're a Calvinist, don't expect Santa Claus to come for Christmas. Because he was converted to Calvinism this week, and there is no nice list. Everybody's naughty. You're depraved, and there'll be no presents for anyone. All right, I'll move on. I just thought I'd throw that in there. I'm probably going to get in trouble with that. Let me tell you, thirdly, it's expensive in its sacrifice. The Bible says He gave His only begotten Son, the greatest act we've ever seen in our life. He gave the greatest gift we've ever seen was His Son. Mm. I heard about the young lady that asked her boyfriend, do you love me? And he said, sure, I love you. He said, well, would you die for me? And he said, oh, no, dear. Mine is an undying love. (laughs) Well, sometimes we're like that with the Lord. The word gave is a reference to Calvary. 
And at Calvary, God didn't give us leftovers. God didn't look around for somebody else that might could substitute, that might be more convenient. God gave His only begotten Son. It also is extensive that whosoever. I love that. I think, I think we're going to work that in somehow in 2018. We're going to become a whosoever church. I, w- I want to start a new convention. I'm fed up with everybody. Let's start a whosoever convention. Whosoever. The greatest promise that this book gives is that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the greatest promise there is. It's expensive. He gave His only begotten Son. The greatest gift, the greatest act, and then it's extensive. Whosoever. The greatest opportunity. I'm thankful this morning. It's also exclusive in its bestowment. Believeth in Him. I'm so thankful this morning that God didn't say, you know, you've got to come up with a... uh, $50,000 endowment before I can be saved. I mean, we'd work for it. My soul, salvation's worth working for. We'd give every last dime we had for it. But that's not what it takes. I'm thankful this morning that God didn't say you had to be bald-headed. I'm thankful I am, but you don't have to be bald-headed to be saved. You don't have to be educated with a PhD or any of that. (laughs) You've got to believe in Him. Believe it. it. Eternal life doesn't come from working. It doesn't come from earning. God's gift is accepted by Him. And then it's exceptional in its work. He said, shall not perish. Uh, that word perish does not mean annihilation. It means a final destiny of ruin and hell. We don't have to perish. I'll never forget several years ago, we were, I don't know, we had 16, 18 on a mission trip in Belize, and Jason was with me. And if you've ever been to one of these foreign countries, Haiti's the same way, and Belize, all of them are just like that. If you get in there with a connection, they all have a brother-in-law that can help you. And we had a little day off, afternoon off, so this brother-in-law owned an island out there with a cafe on it, deserted island, just white sand, palm trees, and uh, I said, well, that sounds great, and it was great, Jason, I mean, it was beautiful. They caught fresh fish, we had a buffet you would not believe. But when we got ready to get on the boat, I thought, ooh, I don't know that we're all going to fit on that boat. Oh, yeah, no problem. So we all got on the boat, we shot out there, there was no problem. I was feeling good. Boy, you're sitting in those hammocks, relaxing and eating that fresh fish, and then we lost track of time and said, we got to go. It's going to be dark. And a storm was coming. We get, it's what, 45-minute ride on that boat from that island back to the, to the land. And man, we're in one of the worst storms I've ever been in in my life. I don't swim real good. And ain't nobody going to swim when waves are six or eight foot lapping over that boat and everybody's dipping as fast. One of the guys, one of the deacons sitting by me, there was a lady behind him from Winnie, and he had claw marks on his back where she had clawed him during that whole trip. And I'm sitting there, and you know what's on my mind? My wife's going to kill me because her son drowned out here. 
I got him out there and he drowned and she's going to kill me. And I mean the wave, you couldn't see your hand in front of you and that little old Belizean was on, running that motor. I'm just telling you, it was horrific. And then I thought, my wife can't kill me, I'm already going to be dead. <laughs> so I just kind of relaxed. <laughs> and bless God, we did make it to shore. But can you believe this now? We left there not knowing whether we were going to perish or not. Man, it'll, it'll, it'll get, you, uh, let me get you close to God. You'll find out if you're saved. Nobody won't have to be asking you if you're saved when you're over something like that. But I want to tell you, when you get on this trip with Jesus, it's a guaranteed deal. You will not perish. <laughs> wow. That ought to bring relief for every child of God. You will not perish. I could quote all kinds of scriptures here, but I've got to move on quickly. It's eternal in its blessedness. Have everlasting life. The greatest certainty, have everlasting Not want to, not maybe. I'm telling you, if you've given your heart to Jesus Christ and He is control of your life, you have. You're not going to have. You're not maybe going to have. You have eternal life. He loved us. First, He hears my prayers. He cares for me, preserves me, rewards me. We know that all things work together for good of them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. We owe so much to the Lord for what He's done. One of the things I've tried to do in recent weeks, because preachers tell stories and everybody says, well, that wasn't true. You know, so I've tried to verify to make sure these stories are true. And uh, I've told this story before, uh, but, but I didn't know it was true. But it is true. It's about a young man named John Griffin. He grew up with one dream in his heart, and that was to travel. He wanted to travel. Well, he was doing his best. He lived in Oklahoma. The Great Depression came. Oklahoma became just like a dust bowl. And so he moved his wife and family to the banks of the Mississippi River. He got a job there uh, in in, in, uh, uh, 1937. He brought his son, Greg, to work with him just to see what Daddy did all day. What Daddy would do is there was a giant drawbridge for a train. And uh, when the ships were coming up the Mississippi, he would raise the bridge, the ships would come through. When the train was coming, he would lower the bridge, the train would go over the bridge, and, every, and then everything was great. So Greg and him had a little lull in time, so they decided to walk out on the catwalk there and just kind of look around over the Mississippi River and look at the bridge and all of that. He heard a distant whistle. It was a 107 Memphis Express, 400 people on that train. He knew that he had done gone too far out there, to get him and Greg both back up to the, to the booth. So he put Greg in a safe place and said, Now, son, stay right here. Stay right here. And he ran up to the booth. As he got to the booth, getting ready, he looked around as he always did, make sure everything was clear. There was Greg with his pants leg caught in that big gearbox. He had tried to follow his daddy back up to the top. <laughs> 
There was no way, true story, no way that he could get down there to him, get back up there, and the train come across the bridge. No way to, to tell them to stop. So he had to make a decision. It was his son, or it was 400 people on a train. He bowed his head and closed his eyes, crying like a baby, and lowered that bridge. Killed his own son. He said the train came by, and he said he's watching them, and they're, 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 they're reading the paper, sipping on wine or coffee, after conductors were there looking at his pocket watch, nobody looked in the control room. Nobody looked at his tears. Nobody looked down to the great gearbox. In his heart-wrenching agony, he beat against the glass. And he said, what's wrong with you people? Don't you care? I sacrificed my son for you. Don't any of you care? Nobody looked. Nobody heard. Nobody heeded. The train disappeared across the river. Sometimes I wonder if the Lord's not asking the same question. Does anybody care? Does anybody notice? So we come to participate in this Lord's Supper. Jesus said, as often as you do this, Remember me. It's not a tag-on thing. I don't think it is. I don't think it's something you just ordinarily do. I think every time we participate in this Lord's Supper, we ought to remember what Christ has done for us. There's no greater scripture to do that than John 3.16. Because I want to tell you, <laughs> if, if we'd have needed an educator, he'd have sent an education guy. If we needed a financier, he'd have sent a banker. I want to tell you what we need is a Savior. And the Bible said He sent His Son to die on a cross so that we could have everlasting life. Would you bow your head and pray with me? We're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. And one of the things that's probably more scary about this Lord's Supper than anything else is that you would do it unworthily. You say, well, preacher, what does that mean? That would mean that you have open sin in your life right now. And I'm telling you, before we participate in this Lord's Supper, we're going to have a time of invitation. You can come to this altar. You can talk with one of our staff. Or you can sit in your seat. But this is the time when you need to deal with God and say, God, is there anything between me and you right now? Because if there is, you need to confess it. Now, I hasten to say this. Don't, don't come here with the attitude, well, I'm just not going to participate in the Lord's Supper. That's not what that verse was for. The verse was so that you would repent. Not so that you could cop out. I'm not asking anybody. We believe in an open uh, communion. Uh, we're not the patrolman of whether you're living right with God or not. We're simply presenting the Lord's Supper as a reminder of what Christ has done for us. When He was born, when He died, when He rose again, and the fact that He's coming back again. It is totally between you and God. You don't have to be a Baptist. All you have to do is be saved. And you participate in the Lord's Supper this morning with us. But I ask you, 
anything in your heart. We're going to pray and we'll be here just for a moment in front. I'm going to ask you to do what God has led you to do, whatever it might be. You come. Father, thank you this morning for John 3.16. Thank you at this great time of the year at Christmas. That Lord, we understand that you gave because you loved. You didn't love because you gave. You gave because you loved us. You told us in Romans 5.8 that while we were sinners, you gave Christ to die on the cross for us. Lord, I pray this morning, maybe somebody needs a church home. Maybe somebody needs to be saved this morning. Maybe there's just some Christians here that just need to say, God, I got some things in my life I really need to work out and get out of my life because I want you more than anything else. Lord, would you have your way in this service this morning? In Jesus' name. Would you stand together this morning?